Craig, how are you doing today, sir? Hello, Arrow. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, because anything that has to do with comedy, I got to pull it in because I, I, I've always been attached to comedy in so many different ways. Standing in those green rooms before they go out on that stage to, you know, just sitting down with them at a, at a bar or a restaurant to hear their stories. And so with you doing The Road Dog, you had me at hello, dude. No, oh, I love it. Yeah, it's, uh, I think comedy is something that um, it draws you in because it's a, it's a form of expression that's not, it's not written by somebody else. It's not being edited by somebody else. You know, you're getting uh, the comedian's story raw. And I think with this movie, you're seeing a guy, you know, Doug Stanhope, who the movie is based on. I mean, this is the life that this guy has led. And he's he's been the guy in the green rooms that holds court and uh, kind of lets you in to the process and the dark side. And so... I think this movie is kind of an extension of the way he's always presented himself as a comic. Isn't it kind of odd how a comedian is is willing to share their story, but yet they still keep up that guard, and sometimes you can feel it while it's happening, but then if you ask the right question, you're inside. Well, that's your job. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it it is hard. They they're not gonna yeah they're not gonna show you uh, their real self if you say something like. Uh, Hey, how'd you get started? Yeah. And you're just like, all right, now now I've got some talking points I'll have to hit. But if you ask me something interesting, maybe we can have a real conversation, you know? Well, why do they always say that comedy comes from pain? I mean, I think a lot of things come from pain. But I, but, but to say that it really does come from there for them to find their success, when I, I've been with them, when we've laughed so hard, we've hurt. Yeah. Well, I think that's it. It's like, you know, it started at the dinner table when you were a kid and most comics are, you know, broken toys. They come from families that are dysfunctional or divorced or alcoholism. And, uh, and so I think that the dinner table was the place that you tried to make everybody laugh and make everything okay. And then you dealt with your childhood pain on the corner with your friends, making them laugh. And then eventually you, are such a cut up that you don't have other job options, <laughs> you know, like stand up comedy becomes a place where, or any, that's how it used to be. Now it's become a place where like kids whose, whose parents put them through an Ivy league school right, right. and they've majored in marketing and now they do social media to draw a crowd. Like it's very different. And the, the kind of comic that Doug represents uh, is the ones that, that draw from pain and, and, and draw from not, fitting in Mm -hmm. and so they are so committed to their own voice and their own path because that's the only option Mm. the film we're talking about is the road dog i've been with those comedians that started out as the opener and then about two or three years down the road you see them up there as right before the main attraction and man that road is hard that i mean every night i'm gonna drive 75 miles to the next club for 75 bucks it is hard but the the payoff is when you're on stage, like it doesn't matter if you're in a Vegas showroom with 500 people or you're at a holiday Inn on route one in Manasqua, New Jersey. Uh, it's still you on stage with a microphone saying whatever you want and getting this amazing feedback from the audience where you're the center of attention. Nobody else is allowed to, if they talk, a fat guy comes in and throws them out of the club. It's a beautiful social setup for you. And it's a chance to explore and to be funny and to be irreverent and say the things you're not allowed to say in real life. 
And so I always say like they pay, I do stand up comedy for free. They pay me to travel. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I shared a comment with a, with somebody the other day that asked me the question. So, so what are you getting out of being a podcaster? I said, because I get to meet the listener. Are comedians the same way you get to meet the people, those that are receiving your funny? Yeah, it's, it's great because, um, I just did the thousandth episode of my Fitz dog radio podcast nice. and it's a, it's so one way in the podcast. And then when I go and do stand up comedy, these people come out and as you know, they know a lot more about you than you do about them. <laughs> right. And so they come up and they go, Hey, how's your daughter doing in her sophomore year of college? And how's your new puppy? And you're just standing there going like, Oh my God, did I really talk about all that? <laughs> and so they, they, so they, it's very intimate for them. And yet for you, it's uh it's a chance to meet these people uh, who have been supporting you. And, you know, you just have so much appreciation for them that it's, it's great when they come out to the shows. That is so true because, I mean, one thing that I learned more about podcasting versus being on the radio for 36 years, it was the fact that in radio, you imagine people are there. With the podcasting and then you go out to a live stage, it's like, wow, those people actually exist. Yeah, right, right. And they're nerdy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I played by that rule. You never eat listener food. That same thing when it comes to being on a live stage. You bring me something to eat. I'm not eating it. I'm not going to do it. I did a show in Baltimore last year. And uh, this guy on the way out handed me a baggie. And he said, here, I, I bought you some LSD. <laughs> and I was like, oh, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. And so then the MC after the guy walked away, goes, you going to take that? And I was like, hell no, I'm not taking that. And then he takes the baggie, puts the tab in his mouth. And the next night, we're waiting for him to show up. We're delaying the show. And he comes in. He's still zonked out of his mind. He goes on stage. He can't remember any of his jokes. Mm. This must have been like four hits of acid. Mm. <laughs> mm, 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 mm. So how yeah. you know as that writer that you are, how do you work your way into being up on that live comedic stage? Because I mean, with writing, I mean, you get paragraphs, you get pages and chapters. But as a comedian, you've got it's got to be one, two, three. There's a formula involved with that pregnant pause. Yeah, I think um, there's only one way to learn how to do stand up, and that's just to keep throwing yourself on stage, and you start to figure out. Uh, if you have a concept that you think is funny, you get to workshop it every night. It's yeah. not like writing on a page where, you know, you can put down, like you said, paragraphs and pages and you don't really know what's tight. And stand up is every night, you're just tightening it up. You're losing a word, you're adding a line, you're, you know, which is why I've always had a hard time doing specials because I always feel like it's still a work in progress. Yeah. You're still figuring out the details and the nuances that could make this piece of material better. And so, uh, so it's like, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a live way of writing versus a, 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 you know, a stationary way of writing. So who's out on the road the most? Is it a professional wrestler or is it a, a, a comedian? Because comedians to me are out there all the time. No wrestlers are out there way more because really? they go. Yeah. I talked to a guy that used to write for the WWE and he said they would do a fight. They would get on the, they, they, they flew private. They would get on the jet and on the jet, they would be writing the script for the next night. They would land, they would sleep. And then they would do another show that night. And it was like that year round. Mm. 
Mm. Would you ever jump into something like that, writing for the WWE? I think I think that sounds like a blast. Yeah, I, I think any kind of writing to me is gratifying. You know, I've written for late night shows. I've written for daytime talk shows, sitcoms, sketch shows. Um, you know, to, I've written for black comedians, Latino, gay, and it's always a challenge to do it a different way. I would I would get sick of doing the same kind of writing all the time. So you're using a yellow uh, legal pad? Because, I mean, you seem to be, the, with, with the way that you're speaking, it's like, okay, these thoughts come to you so quickly, you've got that pad sitting beside you. That's how it was, yeah. and now it's the notepad in my in my phone. Yep. And, and then I'll, uh, you know, but then I always, I write it out uh, on, on my computer, and then I print it out, and then uh, the next day I'll listen to my set I record all my sets on my phone and then I listen to it the next day and then I make adjustments. And so, uh, yeah, the paper paper and pen, I know Seinfeld still does that, but <laughs> I've moved away from the legal pad. <laughs> I love the fact that you record it because that's one thing that we were taught very early on in radio. You've got to air check yourself. It's not conceit. It, what it is, it gives you the opportunity to find out, are you making a connection with those that are listening? Right. Right. What's an air check? An air check is that, for instance, like when you would get on there and you would talk over a song intro, a little cassette tape would turn on. And so then after every night's show, you would put that cassette in the machine on the, on the drive home and you would listen to your show. Sometimes you hated yourself so badly because, you you know, you screwed up on the air. Now the question is, how yeah. can I not screw up tomorrow night? Right. Right. And it's the people that don't listen to those air checks that they, they just never get better. And it's like that. And it's like that with stand-up, you know. Uh, you have to be, you have to hate yourself to get better. And I think you saw that with David Letterman. Yep. You know, he really, somebody, uh, he used to write on a pad on his desk. And uh, the guest peered at the pad one night and it said, I hate myself, I hate myself, oh my I God. hate myself. Yeah, yeah. See, that, that's another side of the world of writing and being creative that I, I really want to dive into because I believe that there's a lot of secret writers that are hidden in their, in their offices and in their bedrooms, and, and a lot of their work could be out here, but they, they fear that, you know, I don't want to be treated like that. Yeah. Well, you look at um, John Kennedy Toole, who wrote Confederacy of Dunces, and, you know, he hand-wrote it on scraps of paper, and it was a complete mess, and he never wanted anybody to see his work. And then he died and his mother typed up all the notes into a manuscript and she brought it to uh, Percy Walker, who was, a, who was a famous novelist who taught at Tulane in New Orleans. And she showed it and she, she knew him through a friend. And so he felt an obligation to look at it and it sat on his desk and he kept ignoring it and he mm. was really dreading it. And he said, all right, I'm going to read three pages. If I'm not in, I'm done. Read three pages, read 10 pages, stayed up the whole night, read the entire manuscript, wow. called his agent the next day. And uh, the agent fell in love with it, sold it, and it won the Pulitzer Prize, but he had already committed suicide before it became famous. Mm, mm. See, I call moments like that, dear future reader, because you don't know who's going to receive your words after you're gone. Right. Right. But then the thing that, that I battle with is, will they get the interpretation or is it my job to even think about what they would be interpreting? I think, you know, when you hear like Bob Dylan talk about his work, he always says, you know, I didn't put 
that meaning into it. There's college classes on Bob Dylan's lyrics. Yeah. And he's like, I didn't mean any of that stuff. So, so I think you come from the heart and you stay specific and you make it about yourself. And if people can pull meaning out of it, if it's a metaphor for them that works, then I guess you did your job as an artist. I mean, you think about abstract expressionism and, you know, uh, stuff that somehow strikes some kind of an archetype for people that they that moves them and maybe makes them think then that's what art is you describe jimmy quinn as being destructive evil knievel was destructive and he he became a superhero don't you love that edge where you really put yourself out there at any cost yeah i mean it's uh it, it's not a choice, I think, for some people. Right. Like, they're, they're, like you think about comics like David Tell. Like, he's he's a guy that if he had if he had taken a different route in comedy, he would be playing arenas right now. But to him, there was a right way to do it, and that way was a painful way to do it because you know he's he's like like Jimmy Quinn as well. Like he he's a guy that is committed to the road and doing comedy the right way. And the right way is painful. It's not, it's not glamorous, but there's a truth to it that's ultimately very satisfying, and it's a, and it's a commitment to an ideal of what this job should be. Boy, you're so right about David Tell being in love with that road because he also knows that he's got to get into that radio station to sell those tickets. And and I always love that about David. He would come to my studio and just just share some of the greatest stories without without selling a joke on the air because you never want to waste a joke on a radio station. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, he's the best. He's the best comic in America. Yeah, yeah. So by revealing this story, I would love to see what the impact is going to be with other comedians, because this has got to be an inspiration piece. At the same time, it's got to be really an incredible tool for people that want to make that jump from, like like you did, with, with writing, and now you're going to move and evolve into comedy. Yeah, well, I I actually started it as a stand-up, and then I got nice. into writing later, so it was actually the opposite. And I think that when you're a good stand-up, you get a lot of opportunities. Uh, you get seen. Uh, I think that writer, like people that run the shows, uh, you know, whether it's a sitcom or a sketch show, they they're used to getting submitted a paper package that they're forced to sit down and read. And it can feel flat. But if they've seen you at the improv in Hollywood killing, now they're going to read your stuff and they know your voice and they know you're going to be funny in the room. They know you're going to be quick. And so it's very easy to get writing jobs once you're a stand-up comic that reaches a certain level. Wow. We're going through this this crazy time in, in history when it comes to comedians. There for a while, everybody was afraid of being canceled. Now there, there are shows where they're going, we're going to say it. We're going to say it. If we get canceled, we get canceled. Well, South Park's always been like that. Oh it's God. pretty amazing <laughs> that, you know, they don't take notes. Their standing rule with Comedy Central is we will keep doing the show, but uh, the person that used to call and give them notes, they said they're not allowed to call anymore. And... Uh, so somehow that show has slid through and it's and it's a great example of what comedy should be. It's hilarious and it's truthful. 
So how do you handle the moments when, when you've got this, this great piece that you want to share with people? Because people love family stories. But but it's it's like with me on the radio. There are certain stories I can't share, but if I do share it, I know I'm going to get a laugh out of it. How do you deal with that when the family comes knocking on your door saying, what the hell did you just say about me? Yeah, that's rough. And I've had issues with my mom, especially because my mom grew up in the Bronx, a big Irish Catholic family, and very, very much into uh, self-censoring and putting out an image of the family that's glowing. Mm Mm-hmm. And I wrote a book about my life about seven or eight years ago. And it was very, I put it all out there. I talked about my dad's alcoholism and abuse. And I talked about um, me almost uh, having sex with a guy in the woods. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I put everything in there because I felt like I owed it to the reader that mm. I that I tell my life story. And she had a really hard time with that, but to her credit, she came around and when I did my book, my book signing in New York, she flew up from Florida nice. and she stood right next to me at Caroline's Comedy Club and she signed the books with me. And it was it was kind of beautiful. She just accepted it all. Do you feel that you're a student of the everyday world, like a silent wolf inside a forest looking out at everything? Yes, yeah. I'm an observer yep. for sure. Yeah. And uh, it's it's when I that's one of the things I love about traveling is I love airports because it's such concentrated people watching. So um, I, I enjoy crowds. I like going to Venice, Venice Beach where I live and I like to go on the boardwalk. Um, I love looking at the crowds and comedy clubs. It's like it's, it's like nourishes me. And uh, you know and whether or not it turns into material or not, it's, it's just it always stimulates me and then um, and then when I get on stage, I feel like I have this ability to relate to people in the audience because I've I've thought about their type of person, whatever type of person they are. Yep. I sort of have jokes in my head about that. Wow. Venice Beach is one of the greatest places just to go have a conversation. I mean, I'm that type of person that would walk up to them, don't even know them, and I'll start asking them questions about, you know, how they're dressed or what they're going to be doing and why aren't they at work today? Oh, my God, you mean you work overnights? Cool, dude. Let me understand right. your lifestyle. Right. Yeah. That's I like coffee shops late at night because yes. people will talk to you <laughs> and uh, they're usually lonely and they want to talk. <laughs> so where can people go to find out more about the road dog and more about you so they can give you a ton of love, dude? Well, the road dog, I think it's at the road dot com. But if you just Google it, you'll get uh, the cast and uh, there's a bunch of places to watch it. You can watch it on google and uh amazon prime uh any any of those uh let me see if i can find the other ones but uh and then go to my website fitzdog.com and uh and there's information there about it too you got to come back to this show anytime in the future greg the door is always going to be open for you oh that's nice to hear thank you so much for giving me your time you bet will you be brilliant today okay all right i'll do it see ya